This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. What is an Imaginarium, you ask? I I came across that word for the first time years ago reading a Dean Kuntz novel. Uh, And um, it just stuck with me. Imaginarium, that is um, any place that is devoted to the the cultivation of one's imagination. And I like to think that uh, this show uh, fits the bill. An audio imaginarium. Uh, We are broadcasting out of our flagship station here in Toronto, Canada, AM 740, Zoomer Radio. I have to tell you, it is a remarkable a radio station with a remarkable signal. Um, very few like it. It's 50,000 watts, and it's a clear channel. And I'm not talking clear channel as in Mitt Romney with a capital C, clear channel, the company. I'm talking about uh, a special license, a designation, a clear channel. It can be heard all over Ontario, parts of Quebec, and as far south as the Carolinas and from Maine to Minnesota, which means... AM740 has one of the largest broadcast footprints in North America. It's a terrific signal. Uh, It is good to be here, as always. I can't begin to tell you how much I enjoy driving down here on a a, uh, Sunday night to do this program. I left the house uh, to come down here early into uh, the Liberty Village neighborhood for around 6 o'clock to have dinner with um, Nelson Thal, of course, no stranger to this program, our media scientist friend. Uh, who incidentally will be with us on the program next week. Uh, But as I'm leaving the house, the skies opened up and there was a deluge and the lightning. My word, the lightning, what a show. Uh, Driving down the Don Valley Parkway uh, and uh, the city skyline straight ahead of me, and I must have seen at least, I counted at least four lightning strikes atop the, uh, the CN Tower. It was spectacular. Lord, I love a good electrical storm. I really do. I know it frightens a lot of people, and, you know, you have to take precautions. But there are a few things I enjoy more uh, than uh, sitting maybe on the front porch uh, or at least looking out a window from the cover of of safety at a good electrical storm and the the thunder boomers, the thunder and the lightning. I love it. I really do. Uh, Before we get started tonight, uh, we say goodbye to my longest-serving technical producer tonight. Tim Spreen, I know you're busy in the other room. Do you have a second just to jump on the microphone? Just for a second. I know you're, you're shy, but uh, Tim is leaving the show after tonight. Uh, he's moving on to do more reasonable hours. <laughs> he's staying with the company, but he's just, uh, uh, Tim, are you there? Yeah. So where are you going exactly? Why are you abandoning me? I'm taking over uh, production duties, um, creating commercials for Classical 96.3. Uh, the sister station here at AM740. Right. Excellent. So you'll be working more reasonable hours? Yeah, 9 to 5. <laughs> Nine to five. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, it's been a great pleasure. You, uh, you are my fourth 
a technical producer since I started here yeah, six years. years ago. Three years. Ago. Three years. Mm. And uh, it's been a great uh, it's been a great ride. A pleasure working with you. You're you're just rock solid every single week, and uh, you make my life so much easier. So thank you for all you've done, Tim, over the three years. Likewise, it's been such a good adventure on this show. So I hope you enjoyed yourself. Always different, always entertaining. Well, we Thank like you. to think that, yeah, my pleasure. I think I'd like to think that we offer something a little bit different. So Tim, um, Tim leaves us after tonight, and then my fifth technical producer joins us next week, Ian Robinson. Robertson. Robertson. Ian Robertson. All right, we'll welcome him aboard next week. Um, I wanted to share this uh, email before we get to our uh, the main entree. Um, I, I love emails like this because it, it just tells you the sort of the, the, the breadth and the scope of the program and how it gets out there internationally. Hi, Richard. My name is Dave from Cork in Ireland, and I'm a massive fan of you and your show. Uh, I used to be up uh, early on a Monday morning, and I could listen to The Conspiracy Show, which is brilliant, truly brilliant. They love the word brilliant in the, in the British Isles, you ever notice? Uh, or I should say the Republic of I- Ireland. Uh, when I was in hospital, I listened all the time. And now that I have the app and caught up, I've caught up with all the past shows. Heaven, pure heaven. Also got a lot of my friends hooked on your show. Please, Richard, if possible, say uh, hi to the people in Ireland who listen to your show. It would be great to hear that. Very best wishes to you, sir, and can't wait for the next show. Very kind regards, Dave. All right, Dave, and all your friends in Cork, Ireland, uh, a big hello and uh, thanks so much for listening, and uh, thanks for turning some of your friends in Cork, Ireland, onto the show. Uh, Albert Vinzel has uh, posted his usual assortment of fascinating stories in the slide carousel up at richardserrett.com, including this one. Uh, For those of you who are... Uh, tracking what seems like our slow, inexorable march towards soft totalitarianism. On June the 1st, Spain passed a law enacting fines of up to $33,000 for peaceful protest and filming of police. Critics of what they're calling the gag law says it's a step back into dictatorship. Uh, And according to the New York Times, citizens under the law can be fined the equivalent of almost $700 U.S. for insulting an officer. And as I say, over 33,000 U.S. for recording and disseminating images of law enforcement, which are most important and effective during instances of police brutality and abuse of power. Uh, And then uh, another story up at the website. Finally, uh, uh, frankly, this one is disturbing. (laughs) But also we could file this under the... Uh, suspicions confirmed, I think. A recent study conducted by Professor Vincent LaRiviere from the University of Montreal School of Library and Information Science and a number of other researchers have found that nearly all major scientific papers, I'm reading it slow because this is important, nearly all major scientific papers are controlled by the six uh, same six corporations. All major scientific papers are controlled by the same six corporations. All right. Those are just two of the stories you'll find in the slide carousel up at the website, richardserrett.com. All right. As promised, the main entree, shall we? Uh, You know, it's no secret uh, to my Canadian listeners that we live in a resource-based economy. Uh, One only need look at the value of our Canadian dollar compared to the U.S. dollar. What are we at? About 76 cents U.S. right now. Uh, And that is in large measure due to the fact that our dollar is a petrodollar. As goes the price of crude oil, so goes the value of our, not crude, but the, um, you know, from the tar sands. So goes the value of our dollar. And we know what's happening to the price of oil these days. Headed south. 
in a major way. So too the price of gold and other precious metals, other commodities. We are a commodity-based economy. Uh, and as demand for these things are slowing, uh, as the world, it seems, is slipping back into a recession. So the dollar slides with it. But when my next guests talk about a resource-based economy, they have something entirely different in mind. They are uh, representatives of the Venus Project to discuss the concept of a resource-based economy based on the revolutionary designs of inventor, social scientist, and future futurist Jacques Fresco. The Venus Project proposes an alternative vision of what the future can be if we apply what we already know in order, in order to achieve a sustainable new world civilization. It calls for a straightforward redesign of our culture and uh, in which the age-old inadequacies of war, poverty, hungry, uh, hunger, rather, debt, unnecessary human suffering are viewed not only as uh, avoidable uh, but as totally unacceptable. Anything less, they say, will result in a continuation of the same catalog of problems inherent in today's world. Too many people, people believe what is needed is a higher sense of ethical standards and the enhancement of international laws to assure a sustainable global society. And uh, we welcome to the program from the Venus Project. Uh, it is, uh, who do we have? Miss, uh, it's Martine Salvatore. Marina, my apologies, Marina, Mar- Marina Salvatore. My, sorry, my computer just cacked out on me. And it's is it Sean Hodgins? Yes. Sean, Sean and Marina, welcome to the uh, Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you. All right. Let's, Fine, thanks for having us on. My pleasure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the website, thevenusproject.com, and looking at this futuristic uh, uh, city that looks like it's built on the ocean and uh, some other interesting uh, pictures here, these futuristic-type designs. Uh, tell us about the, the designs, um, or the designer, rather, and that is this Jacques Fresco. Who was he, first of all? Well, Jacques has spent 75 years of his life um, finding or, or working on solution towards the problems, as you mentioned earlier, you know, eliminating uh, poverty, uh, hunger, debt, uh, war, that kind of thing. And so what he's done is he's designed several models to show a feasible a plan and a workable plan to be able to uh, get rid of these problems and work towards this resource-based economy. Now, I mentioned um, off the top a resource-based economy, and, yeah. and we have, but this is entirely different. How does uh, your resource-based economy or, or Jacques Fresco's vision uh, differ from you know, a resource-based economy, which is what we have in Canada, you know, uh, hewers of, of uh, wood and drawers of water and so forth. Right. So when Jacques talks about a resource-based economy, what he's talking about is recognizing all of the world's resources as a common heritage to all the Earth's inhabitants. So we would utilize our existing resources uh, rather than money and we would provide an equitable method of distribution to human beings in an efficient manner. So that means that all the goods and services are available to everyone without the use of money, uh, credit, barter, or any other form of, of debt or servitude. Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins are two representatives of the Venus Project, and they join us here on the uh, the Conspiracy Show. Now, this... Um, 
equal distribution. We're coming up on a break, and we'll get to this after. But this equal distribution of resources—that's、uh, begs an interesting question: Who gets to decide how these resources are distributed?、Uh, it, it almost, one might suggest, sounds like. From each according to his ability, to each according to his need, and we know where that came from.、Uh, is this some socialist utopia、uh, we're talking about, or is there something else going on? We'll come back and discuss the Venus Project when the Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Welcome back, Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins are with us. They are two representatives of the Venus Project, and、uh, this is、uh, really the the culmination of Jacques Fresco's life.、Uh, designer, inventor, futurist Jacques Fresco,、uh, and the Venus Project、um, is a concept、uh, based on a resource-based economy. Based on, as I say, the revolutionary designs and in,、uh, inventions of social scientist Jacques Fresco. So,、um, this distribution of the world's resources, and we're talking about all the world's resources, correct? Correct. Exactly. All right. Let me get Sean in here because we haven't heard from Sean. Sean, how would this? How would the resources、uh, be allocated? Who would decide how they are allocated? Well, it's very similar. I use three models to help this、uh, answer out, and one is going to space. The people aboard a space shuttle have limited resources that have to be allocated accordingly. Same example could be used for an island. A group of people that live on an island, they have to distribute and use the resources in an intelligent way. Otherwise, they're going to perish. And then、uh, maybe the easiest example would be a cruise ship. Imagine a cruise ship when the captain sets off for its voyage. There's a set amount of food, set amount of you know clean air, water, resource distribution on that. So that Those three models are not exactly the answer, but they're an easy response to this uh, uh, this problem that people seem to have with this、uh, idea. All right, and and how would how does this model differ from, let's say, a socialist model?、Uh, I mentioned, you know,、right. the, the famous line by Karl Marx,、uh, "From each according to his ability, to each according to his need." Is this socialism we're talking about? Can I no. Because here's the main thing, that, and I know I can see why people would think that. But in a communist or socialist、uh, type of system, you still have money,、uh, banks, armies,、uh, police, prisons, that kind of thing. It's still managed by appointed leaders. And in the resource-based economy that Jack proposes, we would do away with all that. So that's why it, it, it's not the same at all. In fact, there's nothing out there that is. Uh, in the least bit resembling resource-based economy, as Jacques describes it. And would there be need for work?、Uh, would one have to work? Let's say you know, you know the the Venus Project. The, it would operate like Sean was talking about. It would be in a cybernated society. So basically, it's being managed by computerized systems. So、uh, you know, if, if let's say instead of people trying to decide what to do with a piece of land and should we use it for. Growing this, that, or the other thing, in the scientific world or technology-based world,、uh, the computers would be able to assess that correctly and know what can be grown in what part of the world,、um, what would be the most efficient way, and then we would arrive at decisions and not dictate decisions. 
the decisions that we would arrive at would be based on these scientific methods and the best technology available at that time. It's also been estimated that only 6% of the world population would be needed to work. Uh, right now, in places even like America, where we have a rampant capitalism, and uh, we have 26% of the population freely volunteering their time. If only 6% of the population using current technology, let alone future technology, is even estimated to be needed in such a society, we would have more than enough of a workforce to take care of the necessities. Um, but let's say I, I wanted to work. Uh, you know, would there be would there be work to do? I mean, let's say I wanted I didn't want to do something that the computer told me needed to be done. Let's say I wanted to strike out on my own. Let's say I wanted to be. Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to understand how this economy would look like. Um, Simple answer is yes. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> um, but in, in that society, uh, I can I, I can equivocate to all kinds of examples. But imagine you're completely aware of everything that's going on in the world uh, as much as you can be. Your your computers are connected and interconnected with every single system. You're aware of what agricultural growth and yields are around the world. You're aware of how many astronauts there are. You're aware of how many engineers there are. It's going to actually kind of steer you in a direction to help out where, the, where humanity is lacking because we're in the interest uh, well, the value set of helping humanity as a whole. So if we're short on teachers, so to speak, or if we're short on this area, you might, it might actually uh, gear you towards that. So of course, you, you can decide not to. But um, being aware of everything that's going on and uh, where we're lacking, and then maybe we're trying to get to the next planet. Maybe we're trying to get to the next galaxy, whatever, whatever happens then. That's, that's a little bit too far out there, I guess. Now, some people, There's going to be plenty to do. Some people might uh, have a few eyebrows raised at the prospect of everything being run by uh, computers. Uh, people like Stephen Hawking and others are, are sounding alarms about – uh, the you know this point of no return when artificial intelligence uh, supersedes human intelligence. Uh, is there any danger in Jacques Fresco's vision of a new civilization that the computers could take over? I mean, are you concerned? Are there safeguards to guard against that? Well, well, the, the machines are only programmed to do what we program them to do. So, I guess it would be kind of being afraid that your smartphone would turn on you or something. You know, they're only going to do whatever it is that, that we... Um, th- there's no emotions involved in, in robotics or automation, so that it's not... Jacques doesn't see that as possible, because th- the machines can't have feelings or decide that, for example, um, let's say in a factory, the machine won't say, oh, they're tired of working 24 hours a day, they need a break, that kind of thing. It doesn't work like that. They're going to, pro- they're going to work according to the program that was created for them. Right. Well, no, there's no That's emotion involved. The... There's just cold logic. And, and what happens if logic dictates that, let's say, for example, there are too many people on this island and somebody has to get off the island or... Uh, somebody has to stop making babies, or or these people over here are a threat to the system. I mean, uh, is there not a danger that AI could develop? I mean, and th- these are these are the fears that are being voiced now by some of the top thinkers in the world today. That that, that uh, it's a concern. It, yeah. it is it's certainly. I mean, you can't just shun it off, right? It certainly is, it, it would be a concern to address. But the issue is not the value system within computers. The issue is the value system in the human. 
that are creating these uh, cybernetic systems. Right. And that's really at the core of what the Venus Project is focused on. Not really even focused on the big cities, the global systems, although that's a huge part of the plan. What is needed in, within these cities, what is needed within that resource-based economy, is the value system within humans to be able to live within it. Right. Now, uh, in, in terms of the distribution of resources, uh, so how does this work exactly? If I need heat for my home and electricity, uh, I get that for free? Correct. Okay. And well, there is no money, so everything is available to everyone. So basically, think of it this way. Um, you would get whatever home you wanted to, to have, so you could live in complex buildings, you could live in a home of your own. It would be designed according to your needs. Uh, when your needs change, the, the home can be redesigned. Um, you, you can, like, it depends. Oh, I think we lost Marina there. Uh, we're having some trouble with your phone. Sean, did you want to jump in? I lost track of where she was going. Okay, uh, um, she said uh, you could uh, if you if you 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 could have a home based upon designed based upon your uh, needs. Yeah, well, it, that's a tough one too. It's something that we need to address, but the, we haven't really mentioned it yet. But we're taking into account seven billion people on Earth and the growth of those seven billion people in a few years, maybe ten billion people. So you have to be efficient. So I kind of narrow it down to make it easy on ourselves. And we're going to take care of the five basic necessities. So it's what I call them. Clean water, clean air, uh, healthy food, relevant education, and shelter. Right? Those are the five things we need to worry about. That's what we can pretty much all agree on that all humans need. Right. So we, if we can provide that freely to everybody, then, uh, you know, there's so much that will be fixed by that. So I don't, probably don't have to go into it with you. But there's 30 to 35,000 children dying every single day due to starvation, preventable disease. Uh, 80,000 people dying across the world every day due to unnatural causes. Um, and all those things we can actually fix. And then, then that leads you, might lead you to the argument of overpopulation. We can discuss that if you'd like. But um, I'm saying we don't need to have any of the problems that are happening right now. The second we're able to create abundance on Earth, which is probably through agriculture and through uh, automated processes, maybe even the Henry Ford line, the automated production line. The second we were able to do that, that was the level of technology necessary to create a resource-based economy. Here we are 100 years later. We certainly have the level of technology necessary. And as we move in the future, we'll have more efficiency. Now, uh, you, both you and Marina mentioned that, you know, you could have something based upon your, your needs. What about your wants? Does that have any room in this system? Sure. If you wanted to learn how to play an instrument, you can go to the resource center that would provide the instruments, and you would sort of do like we do with a library today. You know, when you want to check out a book, you check out the book, and when you're done, you return it. So you can do that same sort of thing. There's no, uh, we wouldn't tell people not to do things or to do things. But, but in terms of material needs, let's say, uh, for example, I have a family of four and I want a 2,500-square-foot house. I mean, are there restrictions? No. No. Interesting. Okay. Oh. Short answer is no. Uh, <clears throat> but again, it depends. depends on what the – the first thing that's going to happen is this uh, gets off the ground and everything. First thing needed to happen is a survey of all resources on Earth. More aware of what actually we have. And uh, divide that amongst 7 billion people. That's not exactly how it's going to happen. But if you're aware of that, uh, it's, we have plenty of resources to give you a 10-room house. 
you know, to produce for you a 10-room house or a 10-room apartment, whatever, you would still choose likely to have a five-bedroom house, five-bedroom apartment, because that, those are your needs. You're not going to exceed your needs. Your needs will be met. And that doesn't sound necessarily like a want, like you just mentioned. That is the, the size of your family. That would essentially be a need. So you'd be provided with that shelter. All right, Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins are with us, two uh, representatives of the Venus Project. And this is a, a concept, uh, it's based on a resource-based economy. And these are ideas that were d- developed by inventor, social scientist, futurist Jacques Fresco. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, sort of in, uh, an inventory of the world's resources. And the first thing that immediately leapt to my mind when I heard that was the UN Agenda 21. Uh, are there any similarities between UN Agenda 21 and the Venus Project? Actually, I have no idea. Okay, this is the idea. <laughs> the UN Agenda 21 is, is essentially sort of a, uh, a, um, uh, an inventory of the world's uh, resources, uh, human capital, everything. Yeah. Uh, What's the incentive behind that? Though, is what, that's what we would question, right? Well, it's geared, towards, it's geared towards what they call, it's one of those buzzwords, sustainable development. Um, uh, you know, putting the world on track towards it. And, you know, there are people, and I have to include myself in that camp, that get a little little uneasy about words like sustainable development because it's like, it's one of those things like social justice. It sounds, it's a very fuzzy, friendly word, but it means many different things depending on, you know, who's interpreting it or who's behind the word. So uh, what do you mean by sustainable development? Well, I actually don't like the word sustainable. Uh, it means to stay the same. In any instance, you're using it, and we are interested in change. We're interested in ever-improvement. You mentioned the word utopia. There is no utopia in this. That is just version one. We want to work on version two, three, four, five, and those humans in that type of system will create something that we, you and I can't even imagine at this point. Right, right. right? So as far as sustainability, I think it's a, it's a, bad, it's, it's a useless term. And in fact, uh, it's thrown around out there in the media and marketing today, especially even on the UN, because people think they like it. If they knew what it actually is to keep things the same, why would we want to do that? Well, it, but also to many people, it means control and it means loss of personal liberty. In other words, they're projecting down the road, the UN will be telling us no more private property. You will live in, in stacked, they call it, again, you know, smart living and smart transportation, no individual automobiles. Everyone will be herded onto, you know, mass transit. Uh, you won't have, you know, backyards. Uh, loss of liberty, herding people out of the countryside into cities, uh, rewilding the lands, huge wilderness corridors where no humans are allowed, uh, these sorts of things. Is any part of that part of the Venus Project? Kind of all the opposite. <laughs> oh, I, I am delighted to hear this. <laughs> I'm delighted. What Jock talks about is, is actually, like Sean has been saying, is providing for the needs of people and not imposing anything uh, to how to live or anything like that. Um, he um, he emphasized ed- education and um, and learning about sciences and technology and that sort of thing and where we can contribute to make the world better for everyone. Um. Let's uh, we're coming up up on a break here, but let's start this conversation now. Uh, one of the areas uh, on this earth that is uh, you know suffering despite an abundance of resources is Africa. Uh, you know, Africa should be thriving, 
and we obviously know that a large part of that is the legacy of, of uh, uh, you know, colonization and so forth. But I'd like to find out how some of the, the, the problems facing Africa maybe could be addressed through the Venus Project. And we'll do that on the other side with Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins. As I say, two representatives from the Venus Project right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. I think I forgot to mention off the top, uh, didn't I, Albert? We are doing our uh, hangout on air tonight. Uh, and if you want to uh, partake and see the uh, the live stream on uh, YouTube, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. And uh, let me spell the last name, S as in Simon, Y-R-E-T-T, Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. And the um, the tweet at or near the top, I think it's the second one down now, uh, just click on that link and that'll take you into the uh, the Hangout on air. Uh, Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins, uh, two representatives from the Venus Project. Not sure, there's a little bit of squawking going on in the back. I don't know what that is. Uh, we're having some phone issues, I think. However, uh, we will soldier on. Now, I, I mentioned um, Africa. Uh, let's use that as kind of a, a case study, if we can. And uh, talk to me about uh, how Africa, the situation in Africa, the uh, you know incredible disparity in in uh, in wealth uh, there, uh, huge gaps, uh, and yet Africa has a huge abundance of, of resources. I mean, you name the mineral, they have it in abundance. Uh, the climate, obviously, they should be able to grow, uh, you know, sustain themselves with with, uh, with foodstuffs. Uh, but it's just a you know a political quagmire in many in many parts of the continent. How can the Venus Project uh, help Africa? But that that's the thing, Richard. That's the thing um, because the Venus Project is concerned about the management of the world's resources. In the future, Africa would be taken care of in the same way as all other countries. Um, you, you know, it's about again what resources are where in the world and. Who could best do what or, and how would that be distributed? So Africa wouldn't be separated in that sense from any other country in the world. All right. Now, you, you know what I'm, mm-hmm. sure. One of the things that I, you know, this may get me into trouble uh, with some uh, listeners, but uh, I mean, my, my views on climate uh, change are, are well known and I'm not going to shirk from them. I, I, mean, I think if Africa had access to coal burning uh, uh, plants, cheap electricity, uh, I mean, something will come after coal. But to deny Africa an industrial revolution when we've all had the benefit of the industrial revolution seems to me to be incredibly uh, unjust. Um, how do you feel about the use of fossil fuels, uh, even in the short term? Do you not agree that Africa should have access to cheap electricity? And that could come again in the short term uh, with coal-fired plants. Boy. You want me to handle this one? Sure. I tried to. All right. Um, no, I mean, uh, the, the short answer is we don't know. Uh, not sure how to handle that situation. I think, actually, the situation is perpetuated by a few things. One is uh, Band-Aid Solutions, right? There's a group over that goes over there and, and gives them the desalination plants, but one where they need maybe uh, 20,000 of them. And so that's a that's a <clears throat> what we would see as a, essentially a wasted effort, although you are actually helping out individuals, it's a bullet on a, or I mean, it's a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, right? So we're looking to the core, the root cause. What's causing these problems? I would estimate that it's just continued imperialism from 500 years ago. It's just 
soft, like you might say, soft imperialism. <laughs> right. It's not as blatant anymore, but it's still happening. We're still taking advantage of the situation. Every, all the countries in the world, and you know about the slave trade and, and, and the resource, uh, basically not distribution, but resource thievery that uh, Europe did and even the Americas did, you know, five, six, seven hundred years ago. And I think that is still continuing today. And also, some of these governments around the world actually enjoy when there's conflict in certain areas. They Absolutely. Economies. So there, what would the VS try to do? We'd instill a resource-based economy, a global resource-based economy that, uh, <clears throat> that doesn't include the current politics, doesn't include the current uh, incentive systems that, like for global warming, uh, I, can't put a, uh, I can't put my opinion into it because I don't trust any of the data. Because the, data, the incentives behind the data that is pushed to us could be uh, from either side, um, based upon trying to get ahead in their field, going out there with uh, predetermined numbers, or uh, monetary incentives. And so any number that comes out of anybody today is really tough to trust, really tough to put a lot of confidence in. So that's why I'm interested in a resource-based economy uh, where there's no money, no, no barter, no in, uh, incentive system to take advantage of others because you have access. When you have access to everything. You don't have a reason to try to, you know, get one over on somebody else. In that world, we can begin to, and using a cybernetic computing system, we can begin to actually trust or actually depend upon the numbers we're, we're fed. What, you, what you're, you're talking about and, and what Jacques Fresco envisaged uh, is really revolutionary. And the question is then, how do we go from where we are now uh, to this resource-based economy? Because as you know, uh, revolutionary change is often achieved uh, through violent means. And I don't see the people, the, the people that are, whoops, the people that are in, in power, uh, you know, giving up very easily. How are you going to wrest control from the power brokers, the elites, the 1%, which isn't even 1%, it's, you know, one one hundredth of 1%. How are you going to do that? Hmm. Well, it's interesting because even those in, in power right now, they're kind of, in a way, almost making themselves obsolete because if you think about how they're, in order to try to increase profit and they're automating everything and they're firing people or laying off people, so now there's less people around. Um, but the thing is, there's also less people to be able to buy the, all these goods they're producing. So <laughs> it's kind of a, a, an ironic thing. But the transition period, um, even Jacques himself says it, it, that could be a chaotic uh, you know, part of it. Um, it, it it's difficult, difficult to go from where we are now to what he envisioned, um, given what, because what we're thinking, the way we're thinking right now, it would be great if we could do this in a very peaceful and logical way. Um, and I think it could be done, but we would have to have a lot of supporters and a lot of people being educated about the Venus Project so that you know, if something does happen to the economy or something breaks down or whatever the case is, instead of being the chaos, then we can understand that there is a feasible solution out there, you know, that everything doesn't have to be uh, falling apart. But we only can know... Can I chime in on this one real quick? Yes, jump sure. in here, Sean, by all means. All right. So uh, how do we get from here to there? One is uh, when you talk about the elite is... We have to allow them to recognize that they will actually benefit from a resource-based economy. Their standard of living, standard of living 
meaning access, meaning capabilities, meaning education, will actually rise even further than their, the maximum their abilities that the money can give them today. So that's one angle of it. Another angle of it is education, which is like the reason you're doing your show, is to inform people about this. If uh, there's a collapse across the world tomorrow, and then everybody in the, in the country has the ability to create a new system, what are they going to create? They're going to create what they know. And what they know are things like communism, socialism, fascism, capitalism, democracy, all these things. They can't even choose the possibility of resource-based economy unless we educate them at least once about it, right? And we likely have to educate them five, seven, ten, twenty times just for them to get it deep enough in their head. So a person cannot make a decision or they can't choose something of which they don't know. So uh, at a base level, we're just giving them the opportunity in the future to make that decision if that uh, if that ever occurs. All right, Sean, hold on. Marina, you do the same. We'll be back on the other side and talk more about the Venus Project. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. All right, welcome back. Uh, cards on the table. You know, I came into this a little uh, with some trepidation because I guess I'd be best described as a bit of a dinosaur. Uh, I, I happen to love love the free market system. Uh, I think a lot of the trouble that we're in now has nothing to do with free markets and capitalism. It, in fact, it's the opposite of free markets. We have corporate welfare and corporate nepotism uh, and um, you know efforts to manipulate free markets. However... Uh, when you go on to the venusproject.com uh, and check out these designs uh, for city systems and cities in the sea uh, that were dreamt up by uh, Jacques Fresco, quite remarkable. I mean, the future looks bright. If this is the future, it looks pretty cool, I got to tell you. Uh, Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins uh, are with us. Uh, talk to me about these. Uh, let's start with the cities in the sea. Um, what did Jacques imagine? Uh, you know, what percentage of the population might be living in the sea, and 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 how many how many people could live in in such a in such a city on the sea? Um, well, uh, personally, I don't know exactly uh, the details as you're um, asking, but the thing about the cities in the sea, though, I understand would be uh, there's two main things here. One would act as a university, so that uh, students could go and study, um, you know, the, the ocean life and the marine life and all that kind of thing. And the other part of it would be to restore the marine life to um, to a cleaner environment, you know, because of all the damage that's been done. Um, Sean, do you have more on that? Cause I, I... Yeah, there haven't been any numbers as far as population, yeah. how many people fit on these, but uh, they're always, you know, if you want to have any concerns about overpopulation, how much of the earth is covered with water, right? So... That I would, in short, don't be concerned about overpopulation. Be concerned about distribution. But that's a that's a different whole different discussion. As far as cities and seas, yeah, they're to help um, clean up the ocean systems. Jack mentioned uh, in the seven, 60s or 70s, they dumped however many tons of uh, oh darn it, what's that called? The uh, um, the chemical. Oh my gosh, the, that they sprayed over Vietnam either the pesticide Agent now, Orange Agent DDT. Orange. Yes. Yeah. They, yeah, they dumped it right in the ocean, and it went right down. If you know how the ocean currents, it takes it far away so it doesn't affect the local. Well, they poisoned the ocean, and he's talking about, and have you seen, like, the pictures and the amount of tonnage of plastics that are, you know, being gathered in the ocean? So we're talking about reclaiming that and uh, cleaning up the ocean, cleaning, and he has buildings designed to clean the air of the world. 
it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's a huge, huge project that um, we have a lot of uh, uh, things to work on. And so Cities and Sea is just one aspect. And is this technology that, that, that could be used to clean the ocean or a building that could be used to clean the air, is this a t- technology that exists today? Yeah, he came up with these plans, uh, I think, in the 60s. These are all reflections of the 50s, 60s, and 70s plans we made. We've simply just been updating the data and updating the uh, visuals. And are so, there, I mean, we're far beyond even these capabilities. Are there small-scale, not small-scale, but are there, there are sort of um, small projects based on Fresco's designs that are operating? For example, is there a, a small... Um, a city site that's built on his specifications, or a or a or a sea city. At this point, the only, the only thing that's even rem- remotely close is the uh, the 21 acres they have in Venus, Florida, where they build 10 domes for the different purposes for for living, for doing a tour, for uh, there's a research dome and like a, a place to you know hold tools and stuff like that. But it's not even close to the scale of what we're talking about. Is there? Are there nation-states uh, in, in Fresco's future? S- countries, nation-states, political entities like states? Oh, you mean borders? Yes. Like segregation. Uh, the idea is no, right? But the initial, I mean, how do you get a, a first city started? You might have to adhere to a certain country. Uh, maybe Brazil says, hey, you can have this many hectares of land, and you can develop this under these, and here's the resources you can use. Well, we might actually fall within our borders, so it kind of counters the whole no border thing. But to get started, we have to. There might be a little bit of compromise to go on just to get the first city, so people can see it, they can touch it. Uh, we can start doing the research there. But as far as borders, no, no borders at all. No nation state, no national governments. No. Would there be local governments, local councils, or would everything be run by computer? I, it's hard to say that everything. Um, as far as we develop things, the more we would uh, turn over to the computers. Like uh, we, we turn over all kinds of things to computers right now. The calculator tells you what math, you know, the answer to the math problem. The aviator counts on his GPS and his navigation system to tell him where he is. He is 100% dependent on technology to survive in that instance. It's no different in a resource-based economy. That's how we'll use technology to benefit us and relieve us from mundane tasks. All right. What about mobility? Would I be able to, let's say, jump on an airliner and fly to Australia, or would there be limitations on that? I personally don't think there will be. Uh, you know, ETT and these uh, maglev trains, ETT is a you know hollowed-out tube. They, they suck all the air out of it, and it reduces the or removes the air resistance. It can possibly reach speeds of two, three thousand, three miles an hour, two or three thousand miles an hour. I'm sorry. You could go have lunch in France have dinner in China, right? Uh, the transportation systems between cities will be trained similar to that. And uh, there likely won't be as much air travel because we don't have an answer to the excessive fossil fuel usage right now. But uh, we'll see. We'll see then. We'll see what happens then. But you will likely have unlimited travel. That's one of the major aspects of the resource-based economy. You won't be stuck in one place in the world your entire life. Would I? That, you'll have a larger education scope. What about the concept of private property? Would I, if I wanted to have a couple of acres, uh, you know, and maybe, maybe I want to live outside one of these cities and live on a couple of acres, would that be permissible? You want me to keep going, or Marina, you want to try? Yeah, no, it's okay, Sean. You go ahead. Okay. Um, short answer: yes, but. 
long answer is you don't need a couple acres. What you want is access to a couple acres, right? Ah, interesting. So, so this is this is a whole different mindset. You don't you don't need. Uh, I'm sorry to change the example, but uh, he uses a pretty easy, easy one. It is a lawnmower. There's no reason for each house around me. I have tons of houses. We have 20 lawnmowers and 20 houses. One lawnmower would take care of the entire uh, properties of all of us, right? Thereby being that how much more efficient. So it's not a lawnmower I want. It's my grass mode or it's my grass to be this high is what I want. So we're going to be changing the values of those types of things. So ownership is going to diminish, actually, because you won't need to own. Right now we have the need to own because we are uh, scared of not having access. When you have access, you will, it will remove and diminish the need to own. Now, the, the one of the other uh, problems, uh, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm liking a lot of what I'm hearing, uh, but everyone around the world would have to, it seems to me, would have to adopt this system almost simultaneously. Otherwise, you would have this disparity. Uh, let's say, for example, uh, here in Canada, we adopted this system and uh, you know, no more uh, need for armies and so forth, uh, no more border. Uh, and yet there may be some other jurisdiction that hasn't quite cottoned onto this plan yet, and they may have more aggressive tendencies still. Uh, so you see what I'm saying. Unless everyone yeah. adopts at the same time, it won't work. Well, you're absolutely right, Richard. That's exactly what Jacques says. Everybody has to – that's why it's a global vision. It's a global change. Everybody has to agree to it and participate in it. Yeah, it's going to be a dicey situation. I, I, yeah. I, um, I don't know that it can be achieved except through force, quite frankly. Or when people have had enough of living the way they're living or they don't believe in their governments or leaders anymore and they're starting to look for alternative solutions, then this is where the Venus Project would be accepted uh, because they don't know right now that it exists that this right. is a feasible solution. Right. Right. Or you may also, not to be, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Negativity here, but just, you know, worst case scenario, you could have a certain percentage of the population that's ready to move on this and another percentage that's resistant, and therein lies the conflict. Right. Jack has mentioned that we still likely need some defense, you know, uh, for purpose, you know, police or military for defense purposes. Right. Um, but once you have a system that's up and running, even though it's not a full 100% resource-based economy, it's going to be far more efficient than these current cities, far more efficient than these current systems. Uh, when you have a system where scientists actually share knowledge instead of hide it, where a company actually shares knowledge with another company instead of purchasing the rights to that and hiding it behind a uh, copyright, you know, putting essentially you know, slowing humanity down, uh, I think the floodgates will open up in, in, as far as like, the advancement in, in these systems. And the people will see, the people outside of this system, the people outside of the walls um, <clears throat> will see the efficiency, and that will very likely uh, have them help them, incentivize them to join, I suppose, if you want to say join. Uh, participate, I suppose, is a better word. Is Mr. Fresco still with us? Yes. He is. He's 99. <laughs> 99. God bless him. Yeah. And still active in the, birthday. Is he still active in the Venus Project? Absolutely. Absolutely. I met him last year when I went down to Venus, and um, he had just turned 99, actually, and he answered all my questions very, uh, very 
It was, he was great. He was very lucid, very everything. <laughs> and and was he expecting, uh, you know, back in the 60s or the 70s, was he uh, – did he have some expectation that within his lifetime he might see this achieved? I'm not sure how he was thinking then. Um, I, I, all we have is the video clips. Uh, if you ask him now, he has no expectations because he, he thinks expectations can actually be harmful to a human. And he uses the example of H.G. Wells died angry. Uh, humanity. Essentially, he thought H.G. Wells was, uh, I'm sure you're aware, and yes. listeners are aware of who he is. Um, he, he died angry. Why did he die angry? Because he thought humanity would take on science like crazy, and we would advance ourselves far past where we are. And uh, Jacques has been living for 99 years, and he dropped expectations however long ago, and it's really helped him to keep going because it re- removes the frustration. If you don't have an expectation, of something as big as the uh, as humanity, then uh, you can you can continue on without getting frustrated, without getting de- de- uh, uh, demotivated, that type of stuff. All so, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, I, I would estimate that at one point in his life, he, he might have thought we'd be further along, but uh, he's dropped the concept of expectations for a long time now. Uh, very quickly, because we're almost out of time. Uh, let me give you the website again. It's thevenusproject.com. Wait till you, you check out these. Uh, renderings, I guess, of, of city systems uh, uh, and different technologies. Uh, how do people get involved if they're interested? There is a page there that actually says get involved. So one of the things you can do is in whatever city you are, or if, if for Canadians, you can send it to um, send an email to Canada at tvpactivism.com or even to the global email, which is the admin email that you'll find on the website as well. And you can, there's all kinds of things to do. You could be a supporter. You could be a point of contact. Um, there, there's, um, you can participate. Like what we're doing in Canada, for example, we're building a team here where I'd like to have a point of contact for every province and eventually every city. Okay, so, I got to run. I apologize for cutting you short, but uh, fascinating. And uh, listen, I... Um, you know, I'm anxious to know more. This is uh, this is very interesting. The Venus Project, and I thank you both uh, for coming on the program, Marina and uh, Sean. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Have, visit the website, thevenusproject.com, and check out the book, The Best of Money Can't Buy, on there. Thanks uh, a lot, guys. All right, my pleasure. And uh, my website, richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, and follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Thank you for inviting me into your homes. Great to be with you. Perhaps you're uh, listening in on your crystal radio set in your cabin in the woods off the grid. Maybe you're listening uh, at home or in your long-haul truck, your RV, your camper. Perhaps you're listening in on uh, AM740, our flagship station, or on a podcast at Stitcher Radio, iTunes, The Conspiracy Show app, zoomeradio.ca online. Maybe you're listening in uh, on one of our affiliates south of the 49th. However and wherever wherever you're listening, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's uh, been a great summer, and I don't know where it's gone. My word. Uh, we have enjoyed ourselves up here in Toronto, the uh, the Serrett clan, spending a lot of time uh, playing tennis with the little guys, and uh, also 
enjoying the outdoors as much as we can. Spending some evenings at the beach, which is great, as the sun goes down, starts to cool off a little bit, a little bonfire on the beach, roast some weenies and some marshmallows, trying to spend some time out in, in, uh, in nature. Uh, you got to be careful, though, uh, hiking around in the woods. Now, uh, very disturbing to learn earlier uh, this summer, actually, uh, and they're tracking this, thankfully, uh, but the, uh, the, uh, the Lyme disease uh, or the tick that's carrying Lyme disease, the, the various bacteria uh, that are found in the tick, uh, responsible for this scourge known as Lyme disease, they've actually uh, found them on the, uh, the eastern parts of the city in a place called Rouge Valley. Uh, you know, so not, not to panic, but, you know, you got to take precautions when you're walking out there in the woods. Make sure that your pants are tucked into your socks, you know, wear long clothing and, uh, you know, insect repellent and so forth. And then when you get out of the, uh, once you're finished your hike or wherever, uh, you know, do a visual inspection. Help, you know, buddy system. Check up and down all over. Make sure there are no little ticks riding home with you. Uh, it's debilitating. And uh, the protocol for, for diagnosing it and treating it, we are, I think, really lagging behind here in Canada. However, we're going to learn all about that. Uh, in fact, my next guest, uh, I recently learned, had a terrible case of, uh, of Lyme disease. Left him totally incapacitated in a wheelchair. He is uh, no stranger to the program. Dr. Cass Ingram is a nutritional physician, received a BS in biology and chemistry from the University of Northern Iowa and a, uh, a doctorate of osteopathy from the University of Osteopathic Medicine and Health Sciences. Dr. Ingram has since written over, well, over two dozen books on natural healing. He's given answers and hope to millions through lectures on thousands of radio and TV shows. His research and writing have led to countless cures and discoveries. Dr. Cass Ingram presents hundreds of health tips and insights into, uh, in his many books on health, nutrition, disease prevention, and he is one of North America's leading experts on the health benefits and disease-fighting properties of wild medicinal spice extracts. And he's a popular media personality appearing on over 5,000 radio and TV show. He now travels the world promoting perfect health the natural way, and we found him this evening, this morning, in merry old England. Dr. Cass, how are you, my friend? How are you? 5 a.m. hit my way, doing great, doing great. great. That's all right. You wake up, you have some of that chaga tea, and you're good to go. I am. I'm having this chag-o-charge with a little bit of butter. A buttered uh, naturalistic coffee, but no coffee, no caffeine, just the wild chaga. You know? and, and that's the that the uh, that that thing that grows on the birch trees up in the boreal forests, right? Chaga. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is, and it's it's a great adjunctive treatment or adjunctive uh, adaptive tea. It helps you adapt to whatever you're if you're dealing with some fatigue, some exhaustion, some some tough times like you're trying to recover from a disease it's a good thing to add to your program you know and this is this stuff that that grows on the tree it's like a i guess like a fungus is it related to a fungus it's called a white rot fungus but uh, it's really technically a sterile conch which means that it's it's not an infectious thing it's not like a ground mushroom it doesn't have spores that you could inhale and you know and make you sick or something uh, it's really a food. The Siberians used it as a food, you know, up there in the far north when Alexander Solzhenitsyn dis- 
stumbled upon them because he had the stomach cancer and he couldn't get cured from the radiation. He couldn't get cured from the chemicals or surgery. So he sat with the villagers and had the wild chocolate and it cured his stomach cancer. So, you know, it's, it's a great thing to know about. I've published that separate book. I know we're going to talk about Lyme yes. uh, and all that, but I already published that pretty famous book. In fact, some people scalp it on the Internet for hundreds and hundreds of it. It's, it's The Cures in the Forest. Uh, and that one deals with the boreal forest cures in Canada. Now, the, so you've got to have that in your library, you know. Just to, just to dwell a, f- a few moments on, on the chaga again, because um, this is what uh, comes out of a tree when a tree gets scarred, right? So if a tree gets hit yeah. by lightning, for example, it's like a Band-Aid for the tree that's produced naturally. It is, in, in, because a lot of people say it's like a parasite. Well, I suppose it does suck the barks. Uh, I mean, the uh, the sap and use it as food and so on. But when you when you injure a tree like the loggers and then the tree, they leave those trees and then they grow another five or ten years, there's a chaga on there a lot of times. Uh, or if it's got a disease, the chaga will fill in. Or if it splits out as it grows, it might fill in the gap. But we know because we injected chaga into sick apple trees and other trees and they recovered. Oh, is that right? Interesting. So it's medicinal, really. And uh, so we got to preserve our birch trees, Cass. We well, got to preserve. You them. don't have to worry too much because you, you, sh- you have to do some preservation. But if you tear cut, the birches come back every sixty, seventy years, and you cut them again, then they come back, and they come back with loads of chagas. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a pretty interesting thing, the birch tree. Um, but yeah, I mean, you want to preserve the old growth forests, and then do proper harvest, you know, ha- proper forestry. Right. Now, uh, the other cures that I'm big on, as you know, so we've got the boreal forest, are coming from the Mediterranean mountains. So here we're dealing with areas where there's forest, areas where there's mountains, areas where it's remote, remote source medicine. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And it relates to even some of the most crippling, devastating diseases known to humankind, not just cancer and heart disease and hypertension and diabetes, which Chaga addresses, but also the infectious diseases, mm. which we've addressed before on this program through the cures in the cupboard. Uh, but now I published this Lyme disease cure. Yeah, let's, start, let's, let's talk about that. How, first of all, how did you contract that? This is a bad number, my friend, bad number. I'm glad you're out there kind of giving people some, you know, warning. I was in the scrub of Wisconsin picking wild berries. Nobody else would do it because we make an extract, a liqueur from those wild berries that's anti-tumor and that helps with, with female disorders. It ends up in a product called Rubinol. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's the raw uh, and rare black raspberry, which you have growing there in Canada anyway. Right. That's one of the so, superfoods. So uh, the last day of my project, and you, I've got these pictures on my Facebook where I've got these big buckets of wild berries and I'm smiling, I'm happy. That last day, I didn't, I didn't see any ticks that week. So for some, and I'm in the scrub of Wisconsin, a hot zone, dummy. I didn't pull my socks over my pant legs that day. I didn't use the herbal spray I had available. I didn't take a shower. And a week, you know, less than a week later, I think I'm going to die. Oh, no. I don't know what's going on. I'm rubbing my skull with my fists. 
I can't get comfortable on my head's like in one room, my body in another. I can't. Oh. And the and then then my ankle seized up and I couldn't walk on on that and I didn't know what was going on. I, it was so vague and then a headache and couldn't sleep until I started burning up like I'm burning and I I couldn't stand this burning on my back. And then I spun around the mirror and there it was. The target. Bulls, bullseye, yeah. yeah. Bullseye rash. But I had been sleeping on the tick. It was on my back. But it was gone by then. So all that time I was pushing all that, all that poison into my body. Oh, dear. And, and, uh, and I thought I, mean, I, I, thought I was going to die. Yeah. And I almost went to the hospital. You know, but I thought, you know, if I go on the tetracycline or doxycycline, I'll become a cripple like I've seen so many times. Maybe I'll get lucky, but I'm already seven days into it. And so I gotta, I'm going to roll the dice here because I, I know about natural cures. I live it. I'm going to roll that, those dice. I'm going to see if I can cure it with the wild oregano. You know, an oil of oregano, uh, other things, oregamax, all that. And I started hitting it. And I expected it to go gone. But you know something? It didn't go gone. It hung on. And I, all I could do was stop it from getting worse. Now, by that time, I had something that's 40% fatal. And a lot of people would say, well, you should have went. But I just sent a patient to get some doxycycline if she wanted to, who just got a tick bite. You know, because now people are coming to me. I've got the protocols in the book. I said, well, go to your doctor, and let's see if we can do both then. And, uh, and the doctor turned her away. And it was only four or five days after she got the bite. He said, it's too late. The doxycycline is not working. Uh, you know, you need to do something else. I mean, you ended up in a wheelchair. Oh, definitely. Twice. This is treachery. Uh, I, uh, I beat it back a little bit. And then it came back with a vengeance. And uh, my knee swelled up. I couldn't walk. I said, get me some crutches from the farmer because I was doing a project in England. I was doing filming. And, uh, uh, and, and, and so they took two people to get me out of the wheelchair, plus the crutches, just to get to the toilet. Oh, my. And you couldn't sleep at night because the agony of the, sh- of the knee pain and the sheets and the touching of the it was tossing and turning... Oh my God! And uh, I mean, so I did a lot of a lot of it, you know, thinking, what can I do? What can I take? And I made some discoveries, made some very important discoveries. Now they're in the book, but now I'm 99% changed. You know, I'm on tour again, and this time in England, and uh, so I'm 99% of what I was before. All right, we're, we'll take a time out, and uh, as we roll out of the break, then we'll get back into this, and we'll find out how Dr. Cass Ingram managed to lick lime right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Dr. Cass Ingram is with us live from merry old England and uh, the new book, The Lyme Disease Cure. He contracted Lyme disease uh, after stomping around in the woods collecting wild berries in Wisconsin, ended up in a wheelchair. 
uh, it was so bad. It often presents as rheumatoid arthritis, doesn't it, Cass? Yes, it does. It, in fact, it can be confused with rheumatoid arthritis. It, uh, sometimes the Lyme, after the tick bite, will go into the joints quickly. Sometimes it'll pop out two weeks, a month, six months later. So that confuses everything. You know, this Lyme is hitting the, the muscular tissues to some degree, the joints in a big way, the nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord, the peripheral nerves. It's hitting, it, it hits bizarre places like the TMJ. It, it strikes the weight-bearing joints primarily like one ankle. Initially, you'll see in one joint, one knee, one hip, one elbow. Then it might migrate. And uh, this is some of them in, in the skin. It will strike that. Uh, so so it's, a, it's an invasive pathogen. There's no question about it. Borrelia for boring, spirochete. Now, another thing. This is not a regular germ. I just talked to Dr. Klinghart's associates attending a Lyme conference here. They went ahead and did what we've recommended is, is likely in the book. This is a biological agent from all the evidence to date. They did a, a, a genome on it $60,000 later, and it's not the same as the one in nature. It has six times more genes. Hmm. So there's, you know, the, we, you've talked about Plum Island before on your show. Yes. After Plum Island's work, you break out Lyme and you break out West Nile and they break out within five to ten miles of the biowarfare facility. In Lyme, Connecticut. Yeah. Lyme and Old Lyme is just downwind eight to ten miles from Plum Island. Uh, Sussex uh, County in, 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 in Long Island and other Long Island hotspots for West Nile are only five to ten miles from Plum Island. And there's no way you're going to have West Nile, which is from North Africa and the Nile Valley and all that, in New York. Hmm. So these are escapees from that lab. That's why it's such a difficult disease to cure and, and why West Nile and, and Lyme cause fatality and cause chronic illness and ca cause people who are totally healthy to be gone or to be destroyed. And the United Nations has declared it a, a, a global pandemic. Lyme? Yeah. Well, it's worse than that. How can You're it be? Right, but, what could be worse but, than a global pandemic, Cass? <laughs> because it's a stealth pathogen. You see, a pandemic like flu or something it comes and it goes. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. You see, so yeah. this is a permanent pandemic. Right, right, a permanent pandemic. I got gotcha. you. And uh, so, so you're dealing with we're dealing with a stealth pathogen that the immune system does not recognize, and therefore it can gain access to anyone, young child, a dog, a cat, uh, a healthy, strong athlete, and start inducing the devastation. I'm convinced it's a biogerm for one other reason. I had Lyme. I still suffer a little element of it. And uh, it's not easy to cure. Everything else, you name it, we can blow it out. Lyme, I'm going to tell you, it's a tough journey. You can whip it, but it's not going to happen in 24 hours. Okay, so how did you finally... Uh, defeated. I mean, what did you, you said? Well, you took a while to oregano, and it didn't do the you job. See, I was, 
You've used it before. A lot of your listeners know. I was using right away. I, I, I used the P73 oil, yeah. oil of wild oregano, germicide. Yeah. Right? Big fan what of it. What else am I going to use? I started using a bit of this oregoresp, which is a very aggressive cumin organos, oregano in, in, in America, sage and uh, uh, cinnamon. I'm using the oregamax. I'm using the juice of oregano, the old standbys. But what I, what I discovered in myself, expecting to be completely cured so I can get back to work, is that it wasn't knocking it out. So what I did was I got mad and I said, this is it. I'm tired of it. About three months into this miserable thing, I, I took 45 capsules of Aregaresp. Okay, I took 120 gel caps of the oil of, organ, of oregano, and I took the super strength oil, the edible one, the P73. I don't mess with the junk. I dumped the whole bottle, one ounce. The label says take two drops a day. I dumped the bottle, 880 drops, into a glass of water. I drank it all at once. And then throughout the day, I took those 180 capsules. All in one day? All in one day. Is there no, there's no danger in that? I'll tell you about the danger in a, in a moment issue. And in four days, I knocked out 70% of my symptoms. And that means the neurological symptoms, the inability to sleep, the rubbing of the head, the band around the head, the helmet feeling around the head. Uh, and I saved my life. It's, you know, uh, thank God for this, these natural cures. Now, I did this on and off, and I took a blood test, and I had the most perfect liver enzymes and kidney function I'd ever had hmm. after so, taking these huge doses. But, I mean, you continued that, that regimen for how many days, or just the one time? For four to seven days, that super high dose. I think it was about four or five days, and then I cut back. But let me tell you what happened over that year. I, see, I fought Lyme for two years. Okay, and uh, and then, but that's a good thing because I kept telling myself there's a reason for this, there's a reason for this, because I ended up writing the book, you see. But I relapsed over that two-year period four times because I didn't stay on those big doses. I got to travel and so forth. I'm not the perfect patient, right? So uh, what happened was my elbow swelled up like Popeye's elbows, big sacks. And I discovered something in these relapses. To, to really eradicate Lyme, you need to not only get into the oil of oregano, but there's something called a regarest. You know, you and I have used this stuff, so we don't, we're not trying to necessarily pitch it, but we, we live it. We I've told it. the story many times. My, 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 my little guy, one of my little guys, one, uh, wakes up with uh, what sounds like the onset of a whooping cough. Uh, and um, I mean, I and he had a fever, like a raging fever, delirious, and uh, I was panicked. You know, first time parent. You know, so I rubbed that stuff all over the spine of his back, the balls of his feet, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. We're in for a ride here because whooping cough can be dangerous, oh, yeah. and it's a very distinctive cough. You know what? Whooping, you know, parents know. Next day, fever gone, no sign of a cough. Kaput. And saving you all that agony and trouble, and maybe he gets antibiotics, he gets a reaction, who knows. Um, but, so, what I discovered is, for the sake of the Lyme cases, and there are many millions in the United States and Canada that will talk about this, uh, the symptoms, 
is that sage, sage and, uh, and cinnamon and cumin are very important for the eradication of the Lyme bacillus. And that's what's in this oregaris material, especially the sage, wild sage. So I took 45 capsules of this again, and it, and it ate that swelling out of my elbow. And then the final discovery that I made is that sage and rosemary together are also very important for the eradication of the rheumatoid arthritis of Lyme. So fi the final product you want to think about, so oil of oregano or regoresp, is something called bone active. Bone active is exceptional for Lyme uh, in the joints and in the muscular tissues. So it comes as drops and it comes as capsules. If we were to take a chronic Lyme case that's listening now, we've tried everything. Because of the suffering that I endured and all that, I'm able to speed up their, uh, you know, their protocol, their program by doing the oil, the oregoresp, and the bone active. I just give you a case history. There was a woman in in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is uh, they've declared, declared certain counties pandemic counties for contracting Lyme in your garden. Wow. You don't have to go anywhere else. Wow. And that's fact, bad. By the way, you must know, eight out of ten Lyme cases occur 80% within 100 yards of the house. Oh, is that right? I mean, how many of us really do go out and hike in the woods? Not many, no. You don't have yeah. to, apparently. No. Boy, this so, is just getting so worse and worse. in the garden. And like me, she failed to pull the, the socks or the pant legs. You have to do that now from now on. And, uh, and so she calls me up, and I send her to the health store. She gets my protocol, and we go through a very interesting two months with her. And then she gets cured. Two months. Fulminant Lyme from an acute tick bite. The doctor turned her away for antibiotics. If she would have gotten the antibiotics, I would have still put her on the protocol. And she took the bone active the oregoresp, the uh, oil of oregano, and the oregamax, which is a very famous product in Canada. That was the bedrock of her protocol. She took a few other things. And, uh, and so we, we're, I've demonstrated that you can eradicate Lyme. It's just a tough journey. It is. It's a tough nut to crack. Very and difficult. so many people living with it, and it hasn't been diagnosed as chronic Lyme disease. They're being Did told... Did you know that? 90% yeah. of the cases are diagnosed two years plus after the tick bite. 90%. Plus, there's so many cases that are not being diagnosed. And the CDC, which is very conservative, says 300,000 new cases every year in the United States. You really think those people are being diagnosed as Lyme? Do you think it's just 300,000? One of ten people, ten percent of all Massachusettsites have Lyme disease. Can you imagine? Oh my lord! Can it present as things? Can it present as uh, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's? Yes, yes. Lida Matman, who I quote, did the work on biopsies and other, and she found that in eight Parkinson's cases. They all had Lyme bacillus in the brain. In almost 100% of the Alzheimer's, in 8 of 10 MS, uh, Borrelia, Bergdorferi, 
has the ability to bore into the brain and stay there for quite some time, unless you eradicate it. Let's roll through the symptoms. The symptoms are the bullseye rash. If you're fortunate, then you have a 1,000% diagnosis. You, this is acute now. You, it might go into the joints pretty quick and seize up a major joint, but usually it's a flu-like syndrome in the summer, really flu in the summer or spring, uh, late fall, early fall, which, which includes chills, fevers sometimes, and muscle aches, myalgias, burning sensation, uh, headache, band around the head, and this weird thing of feeling like you have a helmet around your head because it's eating up your brain. And then the head feels like it's in one room, the body in another, fatigue, exhaustion, feeling miserable. A lot of times it's just you feel miserable. You don't under, you can't put a thing around it. And then, of course, it could present in a different way. Uh, paralysis, tick paralysis. Half your body is paralyzed, just like that. Uh, the face, uh, Bell's palsy, that could be the presenting. Me, even though I don't have the other symptoms, in a, one of the relapses, I couldn't open my mouth. I had like a lock jaw. What a most horrible thing to experience. Couldn't chew right for two weeks. And it took a lot of the oil, and again, this oregoresp. I didn't know about the bone active at the time, didn't have that, and to eradicate that. Uh, and then you couldn't get bizarre rashes. Those are some of the main symptoms that people experience. And, this, and visual the, disturbances. It goes and infects the back of the eyes. And the uh, the entire regimen that you sort of... I mean, did you stumble upon that, like uh, the bone active? I mean, was that... A, I mean, how did you stumble on that? Did you, was this trial the and error? bone active was a big discovery that was based on some work done by m- myself in the Cures in the Cupboard and so Mulbauer in Switzerland where they discovered that there's a very important substance called beta-karyophyllin. So I, I stumbled on the, the need for, for substances rich in beta-karyophyllin for Lyme disease. And that's a substance found in wild oregano, rosemary, and sage. All right? Uh, so, because I was using a lot of oil and a lot of oregano, but those are heat-extracted. It's this, the discovery I made is that the raw aromatic spices act on the receptor sites in the nervous system and aid the body in the cure of Lyme disease. So what I did was, when I was still struggling, I added the Oregamax and the Bone Active to my protocol and I started pumping it in high doses. And that's when I knocked out that last 10% of the symptoms that were lingering. So we need the raw spices. They, they, they regenerate the bone. They aid the body to regenerate the cartilage, but they, 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 they act on what's called the CB2 receptors. Now, hemp does that, too. Raw hemp Interesting. extract hmm. from the industrial-type hemp. Right, right. So and all of this is all of this 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 whole protocol that you that you went through that finally knocked out the Lyme disease. This is all in the Lyme disease cure. It's all in the Lyme disease cure. And if you go, if you just put in the Google search engine, Cass Ingram semicolon Lyme disease, up will pop the basic protocol. Uh, or if you go to my Facebook site, see I have two websites for free, you know, to grab stuff. 
One is Facebook. One is CassIngram.com. CassIngram.com is down for security reasons. They're just working. But you can go directly to Facebook semicolon The Health Hunter. You know, you and I are working on these projects right. in the wilderness. You see the videos on there. You see the videos online. But you'll see the basic line protocol. And that's to use the oil of oregano, the Oregamax, the bone active, the Oregaresp, and maybe the juice of oregano. That's it. Maybe some turmeric. You know? Turmeric is a it turmeric is a miracle worker. There's it's so many a miracle things. worker for the joints and for the brain. All right, listen, Cass, we're going to take a, a quick time out. We'll come back. I've got a, a couple of uh, emails here I want to get to for you, and um, we'll do that right yeah. in just a few moments. Dr. Cass Ingram, The Lyme Disease Cure, talking about the cure in the forest. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. All right, Dr. Cass Ingram is with us, and uh, just in a, uh, a few moments, we will be joined uh, by Sharon Forster, uh, who will uh, tell us all about the Conspiracy Show app. Uh, she's the, uh, the brains, the creative force uh, behind the uh, Conspiracy Show app, and uh, Ali Active Listening. Uh, we'll uh, get to Sharon Forster in just a few moments. Uh, right now, Dr. Cass Ingram stays with us from England, and the uh, book is The Lyme Disease Cure. He battled Lyme disease for two years and uh, finally uh, figured out the protocol uh, to whip it into submission. It uh, it took a while, but he did it. And uh, just uh, I don't know if this I don't think this is related to Lyme or anything. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I got an email here from uh, a Jennifer, and uh, she's wondering about hair falling out from the root. But she says it grows back. Uh, but it just comes out in clumps from the root, and uh, she's yeah, tried everything. If it's clumpy hair loss, then that's uh, fungus. Now, Lyme can cause overall balding, sudden balding, bang. But you should have a history of being out in the garden or working around areas where you might have gotten a, a tick bite at the base of the head, perhaps, or something. You may not have seen the tick, but you might have gotten some single joint arthritis. Well, she writes that it just it keeps growing back. It grows back. Yeah, and that's usually fungus, you see. Fungus. What we call alopecia or patchy hair loss, even if it grows back. So my, the biggest suspicion is, is, is that uh, the fungus has invaded the root of that. But it could also be mites, the hair follicle mite. No matter. You use the same cure. You get yourself some P73 super strength, saturate the scalp with it, put the, hair, uh, the, the, the shower cap on, and just keep cooking it out. If you can get uh, a product called Scalp Cleanse, there's even a Scalp Cleanse shampoo and conditioner. That's brilliant, too. And that has fennel, oregano, sage, and rosemary in it. So those two, is, that's all. And if you take the oil of oregano under the tongue, maybe you take some Oregamax. That's it, you know? All right. It's infection. That's why it's coming out in clumps. Interesting. Okay. So many diseases are due to these infections. You don't get a fever or chills, but it's, in, it's attacking you. Interesting. Uh, I have an email here also uh, from a woman who's suffering from macular degeneration and uh, wondering, are, are there any natural uh, items that can alleviate it? Or? Yes, you should, uh, you should take the oil uh, of oregano under the tongue. Then you want to get some fatty salmon oil, 
high in vitamin A and D called polar power. You want to get some polar power and you take 8 to 12 capsules a day. You, you take some zinc, 50 milligrams. You, you get wild blueberries there in Canada, wild blueberry juice, and soak yourself in that. And that's enough. What do you mean when you say soak Routine yourself? Is good. Where do you Routine, when you, you can buy supplements? The wild the wild blueberries. You say soak yourself in it. What do you mean? Well, I mean you just eat all you can uh-huh. and drink the juice and you know you just tons of it. Okay, so give me those those three or four items again. All right, you've got the wild blueberries, right, uh, and or- organic ones, and it's juice. Then you have the lutein, some zinc oil of oregano under the tongue, and you want to hunt down this polar power, fatty salmon oil with the A, vitamin A, naturally. And you take either the liquid, a tablespoon twice a day, or say 12 capsules. And that should get the job done. Now, if you want to get really sophisticated, you could go on my web... Oh, my website's down. But uh, there's, there's some interesting supplements that are made from berries. You can find them elsewhere. One is called Berry Max Drops. For in visual weakness and visual collapse, you, you take the wild... Did you ever see a bear that couldn't see you in the woods? <laughs> That'd be a big problem if it couldn't see. You know, so you take the wild berry drops under the tongue. Berry Max, that's another thing that'll help. All right, interesting. Uh, I mean, these, um, these things that you're, you're finding deep in the woods... Uh, it's, it's, it reminds me of um, you know all the the medicine that they that, that we've been finding in the Amazon, uh, and yet we've yeah. got our own we've got our own treasure trove of our pharmacy it's up in more potent because you're getting challenged by all that cold intense uh, cold, and you and, and and instead of going and fighting the snakes and the and the tarantulas and the mosquitoes and all that disease, you can just go into the woods. Well, maybe in the winter and fall, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'll tell you how to protect yourself, though, from Lyme. But you go and you harvest some chaga, you harvest some bark, uh, you get picked the dandelions in season. See what I mean? If you could just study the cures in the forest, the wild berry cure, I mean, you'd become an expert on what to pick. How do you... Uh... Um, to, we're just about finished here, but talk to me a little bit more about uh, a chaga. You drink it as a tea. Uh, now, do you, is this something that, yeah. you, you, that you drink every morning? You drink it as a tea. Every you morning? Also buy it in a capsule form, raw. So the best chaga for the joints and for hypertension, the disease I mentioned, diabetes, heart disease, is in the raw. So there's something called Chaga Max capsules, Chaga Power Drops, raw chaga. Or you buy the pulverized and you toss it into a smoothie. Or, as a tonic, you drink the tea in your hot water. Uh, so, so all of that works. And, and I the, did want to also mention, right? and you can study that in the, in the Cures in the Forest, or you can study it online, whatever. I wanted to mention protection against the ticks. Okay. Because I don't want to see people get it. Okay? You put the socks over the pants, maybe wear light clothes, a hat, broad hat, you tuck your shirt in good, uh, you check yourself, you take all your clothes off if you're in a, a risk area and you dump them in a garbage bag, you check yourself, you take a hot shower, all that. 
But in this crisis, I invented something, a spray that's extremely effective. And you can see on the Facebook the videos. Just put Cass Ingram uh, semicolon the health hunter or semicolon Lyme and you'll find these things. It's called Protec-X. Listen. It's geranium, juniper, bay leaf, cumin, oregano, rosemary oils. You spray that stuff on and the ticks go south. They don't want anything to do with you. And it's very effective for the dogs. So this herbal Protec-X is a chance for us to enjoy the wilderness now, I had to invent something, uh, you know, right. so that a person could go back to that environment and safely engage those woods and those grasses. So it's all natural. You yeah, don't have yeah. to worry about children, getting, spraying it on children or getting it in your eyes you or anything like that? You all you want over and over again because it's just these, these uh, plant oils. Protect and the X. dogs, too, because they, they get sick from the deep-type things. Sure. What's the name of it again? Herbal Protect-X. Sometimes you see it on the Internet as Tick-X, but they made them change the name. I guess the government owns the word Tick. <laughs> <laughs> they made it. <laughs> they they own it. Crazy. That's right. Dr. Cass? Protect-X. Protect-X. All right, my friend. Yeah. Stay well. Thank you. We'll talk to you when you get back. Here's an 800 number, 800-243-5242. Let them help you, 243-5242. One more time. 1-800-243-5242. All right, yeah. Cass. Be well, my friend. Okay, you too. Nice to talk to you. Bye. All right, the Conspiracy Show app, when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Well, welcome back. You know, I, t- I talk to a lot of people in, in, in social media, uh, and, and many people are now telling me things like, you know, forget websites. Websites are obsolete. you got to have an app. Uh, and so I went out and uh, put out the clarion call, and uh, a fine young woman uh, answered that call and uh, developed uh, the app for us, Sharon Forster is uh, the developer and creative force behind Alley Active Listening, which is a made-for-talk-radio app which uh, enhances the audience's listening experience with many value-added features such as access to past shows, customized show lists, instant show polls, show ratings, a dedicated space for listeners to gather and socialize, and a venue for direct access to uh, The Conspiracy Show. And uh, here she is, uh, Sharon Forster. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Richard. I'm great. (laughs) Well, once again, uh, incredible job you did on the app, and thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. It's just, it's just an incredible app. Uh, you, did, you just did an, an amazing job. Well, thank, thank you very much. Uh, the app is really just a vehicle, and thank you for letting me showcase your work. Well, um, I mean, is, how, and how do you feel about that, the, 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 the website versus the app? I mean, are, are things moving in that direction? Is that, is that a fair assessment that websites are becoming obsolete? Um, I don't think they're becoming obsolete. I just think people, a lot of websites are slow to make them uh, work perfectly and nicely on mobile. Um, It still amazes me every day how many websites you go to and they just look awful on your phone. And I know most listeners are probably like me. and It it doesn't really matter what your age is. You spend more and more time uh, looking at stuff on your phone and not uh, on your tablet or or your laptop. So I think I think websites are just slow. 
But I don't, I don't think they're going dis- to disappear anytime soon. All right. Well, uh, walk us through it. How, first of all, if people want to get the Conspiracy Show app, how do you do it? Uh, okay, sure. Um, well, the links are on your website, of course. And uh, there's also a separate website called the theconspiracyshowapp.com where you can go there and read uh, some of the highlights of what's on the show, what's in the app. And it's got the links to go either to the uh, Google Play Store or to Apple to get it. And uh, so you go to those links and you download it just like any other app. Uh, the size, it's about the size of, say, a Facebook or a Twitter because it's, it's got a lot in it. So it's a, it's a reasonable size. Once you download it, it, uh, it's going to ask you to register. Um, The iPhone version won't require you to register, but the Android version will. And uh, the registration is really just there to help customize some of the show lists. Like it allows you to say what your favorites are and what you've listened to and so on. So there are some features that are customized by users. So that's the biggest reason for having you register. Uh, the second reason is there's a lot of just kind of fun, interesting stuff in there about the demographics of who's listening and who's calling and so on. So it just it does gather some demographic information, but that that's all optional. So if if, if someone's not comfortable giving that, they certainly don't have to. Exactly, and that is that is useful to me. I mean, it's it's kind of um, uh, market research. It lets me know, as you say, who's listening, where they're listening, uh, and when you combine that with uh, with uh, the poll questions and so forth. Uh, it, it's a very int- important tool. It helps me decide what types of uh, programming to uh, to deliver on the program, on The Conspiracy Show. Right. I, I think it helps you. And I, I was coming at it mostly from the perspective of just helping the listener. Because I know there's a lot of listeners out there like me that they're listening to many different talk shows, not just yours. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been listening and and, and you think, oh my goodness, this, this guest is so great, or sometimes they're not so great. And, and you wonder, does, does the show host know? You know, they, they, they should know uh, if people are enjoying it and what segments they are enjoying. And if, if a particular topic is being discussed, it's helpful to get to maybe do a poll and see how many people are affected by that topic. Uh, that way the host and the guest can customize what they're speaking about. Tell us um, how the, the, the poll function uh, works, because this is really cool. Uh, let's say someone is listening to a, to a show and they, uh, they, can, they can, can they create a poll on their own? Sure. Sure. Anybody can create a poll uh, or you or a guest or uh, Albert can go in and create a poll ahead of time, maybe before the show starts, if you want to maybe gather a little bit of information before the show even starts. You can go in there and do that, or during the show, anybody can. A listener can, and it's just anything that you might be curious about. Like, tonight was a good example about the Venus Project. Just There was a poll out there, how many people would uh, want to live in a, in, a, in a city that was like that? You know, it's kind of interesting when you're listening to these topics to know, you know, it, am I thinking the same as other people, or does everybody have a great varied opinion, or what? So these polls can help you gather that. And uh, also, uh, there's a place that uh, people can uh, post comments. Uh, how does that work? How do they do that? Right. So um, maybe, maybe let me just, about the main page, it's got a little smattering of everything that, uh, everything that is Richard. It's got all your, uh, your curated news, all the podcasts, information about the guests and the books and so on. But all of this connectivity and sharing and polls and discussion is basically on the show page. So... Uh, if you click anywhere where you see the show heading, it will take you to the page, the show page. 
And on there, it's got uh, all the demographics about who's listening. It's got the voting where you can vote uh, if you're enjoying the show, agreeing with the content, enjoying the guest presentation, and so on. And it's got the polls in there, and you can narrow down your search. Do you want to see just polls that the host has put out there or polls that the listener has put out there? Um, and then it's got to join the discussion section. And again, there's different categories there, so you can kind of zoom in into what you're interested in. If you just want to see comments that the host and guest are making, you can do that. Or if a listener has a question that they want to pose to the host, or the guests before the show actually starts or during the show, they can cue that question up there. Or if listeners just want to comment and uh, have a discussion with each other, there's a place to do that. And if you have a particular experience that you want to talk about related to this topic, there's a section for that called What's Your Story? And then the last section about comments is if you feel you'd like to dispute some of the facts that are presented because you're not agreeing with the topic, there's a place to do that. Um, So the whole purpose of this discussion was, you know, social media, everybody's throwing in Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, but those are very unorganized, random, fleeting uh, types of social media. So this is a a little more organized and a little more targeted and uh, it kind of stays with the show forever, which is particularly useful if you're listening to a podcast. It's really easy to find this. Um, if, if people just put comments and whatnot on Twitter, you know, it's, it's hard to find past stuff in Twitter. It just, right. just kind of comes and goes. You've got to wade through everything. you got to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. and, you, and you, you may not necessarily actually see everything. It depends if it's been retweeted and, you know, whatever all the formulas are that these big guys are using. You're not really sure you're always seeing everything. So uh, that, that doesn't happen here. So that's what this join the discussion section is all about. And uh, the other interesting thing on, this, on the show page and also on the main page is just the social media links. And it's just really handy to go in and be able to see what you can go to Twitter, you can go to Facebook, and these things are all right there. I don't have to get out of my app and go and open up each one and uh, f- keep flipping around. So it's just more of a convenience. Exactly. Sharon Forster is with us, the developer and creative force behind uh, the Conspiracy Show app, which is available to you at uh, Google Play and uh, iTunes. It's a free download. And uh, um, again, you said it's sort of comparable to uh, Twitter in terms of uh, storage. Yeah, right. It's not uh, it's not too big. Like I I I have a phone that's pretty loaded up and I I didn't have any problems with it. So it's uh, it's a reasonable size. This is also cool. People can post photos up there. Yeah, on the main page there is a photo gallery so anybody can go there and uh, post photos. Um the other interesting thing is right on the main page, the first section kind of varies depending on what what time of day it is. So if the show is on, there are some places there to listen to the show. You can listen live. There's a sleep timer if you think you're going to fall asleep to make sure that the audio will turn off. And there's also a record audio button there that uh, has just recently been put in. So if you're listening to the show and you want to record it because it's really good and you think you might fall asleep and you can't wait for the podcast, you can just record the audio yourself and come in and listen to it whenever you want. So that's kind of a cool feature. That is very cool. And let's say you, um, uh, you're you offline and you want to listen to the podcast. 
Right. If you uh, there's this section for the episode archives and podcasts, you can just go there and it lists all the shows, all two years or however many years you have there. So there's hundreds of shows. You can see them all. And uh, in each one, there's a little cloud there if you want to download the show right onto your device so that you can listen to it when you uh, have no internet access. You can do that. And uh, once you've downloaded them, you can keep track of which ones are your favorite and which ones you've listened to and so on. It truly is interactive. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I have to commend you. I have not seen an app uh, like this before. It's a, it's a really powerful tool, uh, and you just you work your heart out on it. Well, uh, it, I, I, you know, it can be as interactive as people want to be. I know sometimes people just want to lay there and listen to the show, and they're tired. It's the end of the day, and they don't feel like participating. You can do that. Or if you're very active, there's many, many ways to, to be active through the app. Um, the one thing that I really like is the rating, being able to rate the show, because there's only so much time in the day and there's so many shows. It's nice to know, you know, you pick a show that has a really high rating, and if you've only got an hour, well, go to that show and listen to it and save the others for later when you have more time. And the, the rating system is, uh, works how? So you can go on the show page. There's a section in there where it just says rate the show or rate the guest and the host. You just go in there and you pick one to five stars, and uh, it's rated instantly. You can see what the ratings are, and you can see if they're changing over the two hours, if people are becoming more interested or less interested as the show goes on. And uh, then when you go to the show list, you can look at the ratings for all the shows in the past, and uh, they're basically one to five star ratings. Well, Sharon, I, I hate to break this to you, but that's not going to be of any use to anyone because they're all five stars. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, Sharon, uh, where can people find out more about Alley Active Listening? Uh, well, this, this basically is it. This was kind of the launching point for the concept. I was the guinea pig. You are the guinea pig, and I thank you very much for, for being that guinea pig. And uh, I, I hope to get this into other talk shows, especially in this genre, so that a listener can go and pick between many talk shows and see where they can uh, spend their time, their limited time. Well, I, uh, again, I, um, I can't thank you enough. You just did an absolute, you exceeded all my expectations, the Conspiracy Show app. It's just fabulous. Thank you, Sharon. You're very welcome. Sharon Forster. All right, again, available on iTunes and Google Play. Make sure you get it. It's free. Ali, um, active listening. Albert, thank you. Tim Spreen, so long, farewell, my friend. Stay in touch. Back next week, brand new program. Nelson Thal will be here. And uh, Mary Sutherland will talk about the, uh, the red-haired giants. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden. That won't be made known what you hear in the dark. Speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.